This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cutmore. We welcome Andrew Rowan to the program. How you doing, Andrew? Pretty good, Bob. How are you? Okay. Andrew Rowan is author of Encounters Unforeseen, 1492 Retold. The book dramatizes the history of Christopher Columbus's epic voyage and first encounters with Native Americans from a bicultural perspective. Andrew Rowan is a Berkeley and Harvard Law graduate who practiced law as a partner at a major New York City firm for almost 30 years prior to retiring to write the book, Encounters Unforeseen. He's devoted six years to researching the underlying historical record and visiting nearly all of the Caribbean, European, and Atlantic locations where the action takes place. He lives in New York City. What was the ethnic group that uh, Columbus first encountered? Uh, The ethnic group was the Taino peoples of the Caribbean. They originally uh, emigrated north from South America, and they're part of the Arawak family uh, that anthropologists refer to, to refer to the people that lived in northern South America. I'm not an expert on the time period when they made the immigration, but it was a couple of millennium prior to the encounters in 1492. And where, what islands did uh, the, the, these encounters take place? The encounters take place principally in the Bahamas, where Columbus first landed, in Cuba, and in the island he named Española, which is the modern Haiti and Dominican Republic. The Tainos had a number of names for Haiti, the Dominican Republic. Uh, The one I chose to use throughout my book is the name Haiti for the entire island. Mm-hmm. Were the Tainos the only peoples living there, or were there other uh, tribes or ethnic groups there as well? Anthropologists divide the Tainos into different groups. Um, those that lived in western Cuba, uh, they refer to as western Tainos. But for the most part, in the area I just described, they were one people with one common language. To the east, In the eastern Antilles, the island of Guadeloupe, and the chain of islands that descends north and south by Guadeloupe, um, there were the Carib people, and they were the historic enemies of the Taino peoples. Now, of course, we're talking about the the 1492 Christopher Columbus. This has become a a big controversy in history and in uh, uh, cultural life. I mean... I remember, perhaps you do as well, growing up, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. It was seen as this great thing. It was especially dear, uh, not so much to Hispanics or people with Spanish roots, um, because he sailed for Spain, but for Italian-Americans, because Columbus was from Italy. But then came the idea that, well, you know, from the point of view of the natives that he encountered, this might not have been the the best thing that uh, ever happened. You have taken, well, I was going to say a unique approach to this. I don't know if it actually is unique in the terms of being the first ever. It's not that you ignore that whole issue, you know, what 
did the, this uh, encounter, what did uh, Columbus and uh, the, the subsequent European colonization of the New World do? Uh, but you look at it from the point of view of Columbus and his uh, supporters, and also from the point of view of the uh, uh, Native Americans, let's say, or the ta- Taino. It, it, first off, is that is that what, what you're doing? Is that a fair summary of what's going on in this book? Uh, yeah, I, I'd slightly uh, recast it a little bit. Um, my goal has been to write the history in a manner that presents both Native Americans and Europeans and their viewpoints with equivalent gravity through protagonists of equivalent dignity as human beings. And I'm trying to be objective. Like many of us, I had a very, what you might say, pro-Columbus education as a boy, focusing on his perseverance and his qualities of a mariner, but ignoring or erasing the Native American side of the story. What I want to do is be objective, either be pro or anti-Columbus, but to present both peoples, as I believe the historic record shows them to have believed and thought and acted at the time. So I don't view myself as being pro or anti-Columbus. What I'm really trying to do is shed my upbringing and be as objective as possible. How do you uh, uh, find out what the Taino thought? Did they, uh, I mean, how, how did you do that? Uh, there, there are two avenues. Um, when Columbus um, journeyed to the, uh, the Caribbean, he, of course, kept the journal, which everyone knows about. In addition to his journal, there are quite a few other primary sources written either contemporaneously or in the decade that follow that tell you information about the Tainos. In particular, Bartolome de las Casas was one of the historians of the era. He went to live in uh, the Caribbean, and he wrote volumes about the people and became the defender of the, quote, Indian people in Spain in the 16th century. So they're his works, and there are other chroniclers. Mm-hmm. In, in those stories, you can read you know, factual information about the Tainos. Also, modern anthropologists have studied the, the, the Tainos by reading this historical record and also doing on-site investigations by you know, excavating where they lived, uh, examining uh, anthropological evidence, so there are quite a lot of works about who they were from that kind of anthropological, scientific point of view. So my stories about the Tainos in the book are a con- combination of reading that historical record, which is written by the European conquerors, mm-hmm. and the anthropologists, to try to place the historic figures in the context of social practices and events which um, which anthropologists all agree occur. Mm-hmm. For, but uh, today, uh, you know, over 500 years later, the, the, uh, the Tainos in one way or another disappeared or been just subsumed into 
uh, the the cultures of all the people that ha- have come to those uh, islands? For the most part, Columbus and his 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 followers committed genocide uh, of the Taino people. Now, Taino blood persisted in a few isolated areas, and there was intermarriage. So, to some extent, Taino culture and heritage has continued. There's kind of been a rebirth in the Caribbean in recent years of their Native American heritage. And, you know, you can go down there and you can go on websites where people celebrate Taino culture. In fact, when I traveled in the Dominican Republic, I met a group of people near the Samana Peninsula that were, you know, studying just that, their Taino roots. But for the most part, it's been 500 years. There was, you know, to a large extent, a genocide. So there hasn't been the continuous culture like you would find with a a continental Native American uh, tribe, such as the Apache or the Sioux or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you need to go farther back and really rely upon the historic documents. Now, the events that you describe in your historical novel, Encounters Unforeseen, um, lead up to 1492. You don't uh, go into... The, the genocide, correct, or the attempted genocide? Well, my, Bob, that's, that's a, a good point. My book ends in 1493, uh, September 1493, when Columbus is planning and about to execute his second voyage, which begins the colonization of the New World by Isabella and Fernando. So it describes Columbus's thoughts about how he's going to subjugate the local people, but it doesn't include, you know, the atrocities for which he's known. It doesn't include the moment when he exports slavery from the New World to the Old World. But you can see in his thoughts, which are clearly expressed without embarrassment in his journal, Mm -hmm. what he intends to do. And the second half of my book goes into those thoughts. And he, 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 you know, he begins the process of subjugation by seizing Taino captives to help him uh, travel about the Caribbean and to be interpreters. And one of the main protagonists, in fact, I think the main protagonist in the book is one of the historic captives that he he seizes on the island that Taino is called Guanahani which I believe is San Salvador today. Mm-hmm. And that person, you know, is a historic figure. What was, what is, was his name? Well, he's an historic figure. Uh, I've been able, and others have been able, to trace his life past Columbus's death, in fact, past 1514. No one knows his, his birth name. Columbus doesn't give the birth names of the captives he sought in their Taino language in his journal, and none of the other primary sources reveal it, but this is the captive who was Columbus's favorite interpreter and guide, and when he's hauled over to Spain in 1493, he's baptized at Isabella's court, and 
christened Diego. Okay. So this is the captive known to history uh, by the name Diego. I, I thought inappropriate to use that name from the beginning, obviously, and historically inaccurate. So in the book, I give him a fictitious Taino name, Bacaco. Ah. We're talking uh, with Andrew Rowan, author of Encounters Unforeseen, 1492 Retold. You're listening to The Historian's Podcast. We'll talk more with the author in just a moment. The Historian's Podcast depends on you for continued operation. You were very generous uh, this year in our 2017 fund drive. And we do uh, ask if you can see your way clear to do it, to go online to our GoFundMe page. It's uh, GoFundMe.com forward slash historians2017. Or if you'd rather send a donation by mail, you can send it to me, uh, Bob Cudmore, make out the check to Bob Cudmore, send to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. That's 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. On the Historian's Podcast, we're talking with Andrew Rowan, author of Encounters Unforeseen, 1492 Retold, an effort to dramatize the story of Christopher Columbus encountering Native Americans from a bicultural perspective, both from the perspective of the Taino people who were uh, here and uh, Columbus uh, coming from uh, Europe and the various um, cultures of, of Europe, if you will. Uh, and you do uh, discuss Columbus's background, uh, what, what was going on in Spain at the time uh, when he set out on these voyages. Yes, I do. Uh, I try to trace Columbus's youth and maturation so I can portray how he develops his world outlook. And that includes his views of conquest, enslavement, and conversion of other people. Uh, within the greater context, I, I portray Isabel and uh, Ferdinand of Spain, and, you know, the political actions and religious actions they took in Spain, which also involved these doctrines of, you know, conquest, enslavement, and conversion of old world peoples, which they exported in slightly modified form to the new world. We, um, you discuss with us the historical figure, Taino, uh, that you give the fictional name of Bacaca, who Columbus called Diego. But you also <clears throat> uh, present life stories of three Taino chieftains. Are they also uh, figures in history, or uh, <laughs> I mean, is this some a fiction? Have you, you know, made that up? Almost everyone in my book with a proper name is an historic person. To preserve the novel style, there are only a handful of fictional characters that are minor characters. And any fictional character with a proper name is identified as such in the back of the book. So when you read the book, everyone with a historic name is a real person. The three Taino chieftains, which form kind of the nucleus 
of 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 the Taino descriptions in the book prior to 1492 are all historic persons. Kanabo uh, lived in the middle of uh, what is now Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and he, in fact, later after my book ends, is the first Native American chieftain who resisted European settlement, fought against them. Guacanagari lived on the northern coast, and his chieftain extended kind of along the, the northwest side of the island. And he was the first chieftain to meet Columbus, and he, in fact, saved Columbus when the Santa Maria sinks off his chieftain on December 25th, actually, 1492. The third chieftain, Garionex, um, was kind of the reputed spiritual leader or most reputed spiritual chieftain uh, on the island. And he lived northeast of Kayanabo, also in the center mm-hmm. of the country. They're all historic persons, and they all have different reactions to Columbus, and they all have different fates when the genocide occurs. In fact, it might be interesting to ask you, I mean, based on your extensive research, you know, we, uh, you describe um, Columbus's, you say you describe Columbus's mindset, what he thought of the peoples he encountered. What did they think of him or, or of the Europeans? Uh, coming there. I mean, from what you just said, it sounds like, well, they, they had different points of view, or diff- one thought, one thing, one thought, another. Yeah, uh, and that's, that's a very good question, and it goes to the heart of why I wrote the book, uh, and I believe the central drama of the book. What did the chieftains and the captive, Diego, think of Columbus, and what did Columbus think of them? And you know, sitting in 2017, 525 years after the event, we all know what happened. We all know the tragedy of the conquest of North and South and Central America by Europeans to, to you know, the first peoples here, the Native Americans. But in 1492, neither party saw that. This was virgin experience for them. It was an encounter unforeseen, which is why I titled the book that way. So in the Taino's mind, the first questions they had when they saw these pale beings were, were they spirits or were they men? They had never seen these kind of people before. The second question was, were they friend or were they enemy? Mm. And they didn't know the answer to that. In Columbus's mind and in the European mind, no one knew that the American continent, the American continents lay in between Spain and Cathay, the Cathay of Marco Polo. So his first question and their first questions as Europeans were, where were they? Who were these Taino people? And 
frankly, their second question was, well, since they weren't Christian, how could they be subjugated and made to be vassals of Isabella and Ferdinand? Now, the Thano the chieftains had different reactions to Columbus in 1492 and 1493, uh, which is what makes, I believe, the most important drama in my book. The Tainos were traders. They traded uh, goods, and they had goods. They had cotton, they had rubber, they had tobacco, uh, they had gold. They traded amongst themselves in the Caribbean, and most of the anthropologists believe they traded with the civilizations in Central America and to some extent uh, in South America. So the, the reactions that I portray in my book are include the reaction that they want to trade with Columbus. Mm-hmm. They see that he has uh, goods they've never seen before and a technology with ships and uh, firearms that they've never known, and with metal. And so they all want to trade with them, and that's pretty clear from reading all the primary sources. Some of them are more welcoming than others. Some are more cautious. Columbus sees this captives. They see that, and I think, you know, by 1493, uh, K. has come to the view that these are probably an enemy people. Hmm. Did Columbus, um, in his lifetime, ever grasp the the bigger picture? I mean, or that there was a mainland, you know, that it wasn't China out there, or it wasn't India, uh, you know, it was you know North and South America. Did he ever get to, to that part, or or learn of it from the Taíno? Well, um, Columbus died in fifteen oh six, and at his death, he believed. He was still close to achieving Marco Polo's cafe. On his third voyage, um, he discovered South America. And his conception of South America was that it was an enormous continent uh, that existed in the southern hemisphere. On his fourth voyage, he actually landed and was stranded close to the the point where the Panama Canal is now built, Mm -hmm. a great irony of history. And he was still searching for a passageway through that coastline. You know, I think historians debate this, but my conclusion is that he never admitted to himself that his geographical theory was wrong. He knew he discovered something, and he felt he was entitled to the profits from it in South America. But um, as to being on some distant shore from, you know, China, which is where he thought he was going, in Japan, he never admitted that his geographical theory was wrong. Hmm. The book is called Encounters Unforeseen, 1492 Retold. We have a few minutes uh, uh, left, uh, Andrew Rowan. I'm uh, certainly impressed with all the work you've done on this. Uh, it's, it's more than 
just writing a book. It sounds like it was this was a quest. You uh, after your law career, you devoted six years to doing the the research. Where did you go? What did you see? What did you do? Well, I began with book research, uh, reading the primary sources on the subway to and from work, and that took about a year or two. There are actually aren't that many primary sources. It's not like writing about Franklin Roosevelt or even, you know, Lincoln or Washington. The primary sources relating to the event could be put on one table. Um, then I went exploring. Okay, I obviously went to the Caribbean. Um, I'd been to San Salvador before. I went to the Turks and Caicos, which is where the book opens uh, with Canobo's uh, potential speculative, at any rate, birthplace. I went to the Dominican Republic and Haiti. I visited all the Atlantic islands where Columbus matured. I went to Greece. He went to, to Greece in, a, in his youth on a sailing expedition. I even went to um, the slave coast, quote-unquote, in Africa, in Ghana, to the Fort of Delmina, which Columbus also visited pre-1492. I also did some, you know, some exploration in Spain and Portugal to get as much as I could about, you know, the youth of Isabella and Ferdinand. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> I guess. Um, and w- way back when you started talking about your research and you were reading the primary sources, you said they're relatively few. But what is what what is would be a primary source here? Well, the primary source would be Columbus's journal, um, the works by Bartolome de las Casas. Mm. There were chroniclers in Isabel's court. Fernandez de Oviedo and Pedro Martir. An important source for the Taino religion is a uh, a friar named Ramon Panay, who was uh, noticed by Fernando in 1493 and went over on Columbus's second voyage. And Columbus instructed him to study the Taino religion. And so he wrote a book, which may be the first, you know, book kind of studying a, a indigenous religion. It's kind of short, but that's where the information regarding uh, the Taino spirits comes from in my book. It all comes from that book by Ramon Panay. There are other sources um, uh, you know, with the second voyage, other people came across. There were, you know, over a thousand people that came across. Some of them wrote letters back. Some of them wrote little booklets. Mm-hmm. Columbus himself was a voluminous writer, uh, not so much, you know, uh, historic documents in, in the sense of proclamations and stuff like that, but in terms of, you know, orders and instructions about what should be done and mm-hmm. requisitions for supplies and so forth and reports to Isabel and Ferdinand regarding his travel. Okay. And Andrew Rowan, I'm sorry, we're just uh, running out of time. Uh, Andrew Rowan is author of the book Encounters 
unforeseen, 1492 retold. Thank you for joining us on the Historian's uh, Podcast, uh, Andrew. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.